It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. His feminine side is stronger than your masculine side. His cat was once a bat boy for a Japanese baseball team. Gas stations pay him to fill up. He is the most interesting man on radio. I don't always talk on the radio, but when I do, I do it on WBZ. Jay Talkin' with Bradley Jay. Stay curious, my friends. And stay tuned. WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ, 68 degrees? No one told me it was going to be this hot today. I didn't have... I, I found out after the fact. Didn't, didn't go out. 68 degrees. And it's Patriots Day today, which means lots of things around here. We have a historian, a Boston historian, Brooke Barbier. Barbier. Barbier, yeah. Barbier. And, well, you are... Um, you have a book, Boston, in the... Uh, American Revolution, a town versus an empire. First, I thought it was a town versus a vampire. <laughs> but the, uh, no. Yeah, it's not a young adult. <laughs> that would be new, a town yeah. in uh, like Romania. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you also operate tours, tavern tours. Yes. So I own a tour company called Yield Tavern Tours. So under the auspices of history and Patriot's Day, I want to start out talking about your tours. Yeah. You have a, t- a tavern tour. Can you talk about that? Yeah. We'll go into some detail about that because in, in addition to talking about the taverns, there's a lot of history involved there. Yeah. So go ahead. Okay. So Yield Tavern Tours is a guided walking tour that takes guests on the Freedom Trail um, to see historic sites, but you stop at historic taverns along the way and have a beer in each. Do you have to get some license to utilize the Freedom Trail to make you money? You don't. And so you anybody don't. could. I anybody could. I could just say... Uh, walk with me, Bradley J, down the yeah. Freedom Trail, 10 bucks. Yeah, you okay. could. All right. And what historic sites, besides the taverns, do you hit? All oh, of them? All, and, all and of go them. Go through what they are, because I, I, if someone asked me, I wouldn't know all of them. Okay, so the Freedom Trail's two and a half miles. We don't cover two and a half miles. We cover the first mile. So we see Boston Common. That's the official start of the Freedom Trail. Mm-hmm. Then there's Park Street Church. We don't spend a lot of time talking, if any, about Park Street Church because that didn't exist during the Revolutionary period. Okay. Then there's the Granary Burying Ground. That's the VIP celebrity burying ground in Boston. So mm-hmm. Paul Revere's there. Samuel Adams is there. John Hancock. What do you have to do to, to uh, get buried there? Um, you have to have money. Really? Could, yeah. Can you get buried there now? No. No. Um, the last bury- person buried there was... What if someone was- to throw your ashes, scattered them on, on a DL? Would, they, would anyone find out? Um, You're probably not allowed to say. I, well, I, I mean, I, DL. Okay. <laughs> Granary Bearing Ground, then King's Chapel Bearing Ground, right? Or yeah. Skip that? Well, no, then we see the Massachusetts State House. Yeah. And then King's Chapel, 
and King's Chapel Burying Ground, which are next to each other. Then the site of the Boston Latin School, the first public school in the 13 colonies. It's represented by that statue of Ben Franklin with his big bald head. You know, I have to, you'll go, when we get back to that, you'll have to drill down on the location because we're going to go back and go through these locations one at a time. Okay. And then uh, what's next? And then the Old South Meeting House. That's at um, Washington and School Street. Mm -hmm. And then Old State House. And then in front of that is the Boston Massacre site. And there's a problem with that site. And we can talk about why it's problematic. Mm -hmm. And then you go to Faneuil Hall. And then it takes you into the North End. So our tour. You go into the Faneuil Hall? On on our tour, we don't. But you go. Oh, come. um, It's it's a busy place. But I Um, mean, in 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 the building, like where Daniel Webster gave his. Oh, right, right. Do you go in there? No. Okay. So you we just look at it. We look at it. Okay. Yeah, and and Faneuil Hall was reconstructed. So it doesn't count. It, it's later. It doesn't look like what it looked like in the 18th century, mm, okay. which some of these don't. Right. But um, and then the Freedom Trail continues in the North End. So our tour ends in Faneuil Hall. Well, it ends in a tavern near Faneuil Hall, and then um, the Paul Revere House is next. Okay. Paul Revere Mall. And you don't go there. No. Too long? Too long. Most tours, if you were to run your Bradley J $10 tour, you'd probably stop at Faneuil Hall. 10 bucks? Yeah. That's pretty low. Yeah. You should raise your prices. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's go through first a little bit about each of the sites. Okay. And then the taverns and how you choose them and the history of those. Yeah. So you start at Boston Common. What, historically speaking... Is there when it comes to the revolution? A lot, but what do you show them? Well, the key thing about Boston Common is that it was waterfront property in the 18th mm-hmm. century. It was surrounded by water by many of its sides on 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 its sides. So we talk about how this was the edge of town. Mm-hmm. So today we think of it literally as the center of Boston, but it was the edge of town. So John Hancock had a mansion at the top of Beacon Hill. So basically, it was he could look out at the water from his house. One way, but his house faced the grass, right. so he would look at the common. Mm-hmm. But um, he was one of just a few houses in Beacon Hill. Imagine that at the time, because it was considered unfashionable. It was kind of a far away part of town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about Boston. Where was the center the, of town then? The, the, what was called King Street, which today is State Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so where Boston Massacre was. Exactly. Okay. And there's a reason like that plays into why the Boston okay. Massacre happened where it did. So you talk about that it was beachfront property. And what were they using it for at the time? It was a pasture? Exactly. Okay. And it was common land. So the name, some people say Boston Commons. It's not. It's singular. Boston Common. Common. It's and, the common where you go. And well, now it's it's for the use of common use. Yeah. Common ground. Common use land. Anybody could graze their cows there? Yeah. And cows were still grazed there into the 19th century. Wow. That's Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, And so you have that monument on the hill. And then as you come down the hill toward Charles Street, that hill would go right down into the water. Right. And it was pasture It wasn't wooded at the time. They cleared it. No. Okay. Then... What's next? Granary Burying Ground. And that's the VIP. You skip the church because that wasn't there at the time. <laughs> yeah. Do you just say this church was, uh, you give the facts. Wasn't God Bless America sung there for the first time or something it like that? It wasn't God Bless America. It was um, My Country Tis of Thee. Okay. But Beautiful church, though. Beautiful church. I used to actually live at 43 Winter Street. Oh, so yeah. So when I would stumble home, I would see all that stuff. It was yeah. pretty cool. 
Then the Granary Burying Ground. Tell me about, give me the uh, highlights of that. So, um, it's really the VIP. So James Otis and Samuel Adams bookend the front of it. And mm-hmm. these are big firebrands. James Otis is way on the left. Exactly. And then Sam way on Adams the right. is over on the right, along with Christmas Attucks. Yeah, so Christmas Attucks died in the Boston Massacre, as did four other people. And they're buried in Samuel Adams' tomb. Cool. Yeah. He, he let them do that? Yes. There's also a 12-year-old boy buried in the same tomb. Um, and that 12-year-old boy didn't die in the massacre, and he wasn't a relative of Samuel Adams. He just needed a... No, so um, he died 10 days before the massacre. He was shot by a British customs official. And some people like to think of him as one of the first martyrs of the revolution. Mm -hmm. So he's there as well. Christopher Snyder. Back to James Otis on the left. Yeah. Tell me about James Otis. So James Otis um, was a firebrand in Boston, um, but his influence is in the early 1760s. I mean, he really liked to needle the loyalists. Um, what was he, his job? He was a lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah. And he fought against some of these um, taxes that the British were imposing. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about Otis is that um, he was mentally unstable and his influence wanes as the 1760s go on as his brain sort Mm -hmm. of wanes too and so by the late 60s he's not really a factor he gets beat up in a tavern um by someone that he'd been having a war of words with in the newspapers and uh and after he gets beat down severely beat down um he isn't really a factor at all so he got brain damage from getting beat up exactly and you have sam adams sam adams was was he what we would today call a terrorist? Um, no. Was what would he? He today. So here's how. What here's how I explain it to people. I think he would make good money as a lobbyist today, or as a marketing executive. Yeah, an advertising but he was executive. like organizing tea party, right? He was yes. kind of destructive. Yes, but he wasn't doing the destruction. He was organizing it. Yeah, he was helping to organize it. So he was influential. I mean, that's I think how. Um, so he was an instigator and, you know, uh, there might be laws against what he does. Yes. So now, one, now, now certainly. Mm-hmm. And even then, you weren't supposed to violently rebel. But I talk about this in my book, and it's kind of hard for us to understand today. But in the 18th century, there were it was an accepted form of grievance uh, to, to um, state your grievances, which was to violently rebel and the lawmakers sort of understood that that would be how else did people violently rebel with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And things that they do. Yeah, so. Burn stuff down, beat someone up. What do they do? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, whatever, whatever they needed to do to get the job done. Hmm. So we see this in earnest in 1765 when the Stamp Act is passed and, and two different mobs go to town on two different uh, British officials, um, you know, they're Americans. They lived in the colonies, but they 
they had their they got their paycheck from the British Crown, mm-hmm. and so the mobs destroy their pr- private property. They're both their homes, and the and one of the guy they destroy his office too. So that's kind of terrorism. I mean, it's sure we wouldn't today allow that. We wouldn't want the destruction of private property of anyone, much less an, an official. So just wilder times then, I guess. Wilder times. That's the thing. Like, it's all in context that this was an acceptable way. Like if you got in a fight, there wouldn't be all charges against one another. You just get in a fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. How about, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about John Hancock and his evolution. Started out as a failed whaling, whaler, as I understand it. He started, his family was in the whaling, but he was in the whaling business and failed. And can, he f- was kind of a loyalist and then got less loyal. Yeah. Really because would, the crown was costing him money, right? Yeah, I would never say that he was a loyalist, but he's interesting. John Hancock um, is interesting because he's um, in the 1760s and 70s, the richest man in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets that way because he inherited his money from his uncle. Mm-hmm. So, did, how did his uncle make the money? His uncle was a self made man. Mm-hmm. Um, who owned, uh, who started and then ran the House of Hancock, which was a merchant business. So importing and exporting goods, so including his, whaling oil. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. And so John's John's dad died when he was eight. And John's uncle adopted John as his own son. The rich guy. The rich guy. Yes. And John's uncle, Thomas, had the house on Beacon Hill, the top, this big mansion on the top of Beacon Hill. And John then moved in. Moved on up yeah. to the top of Beacon Hill and then was educated at Boston Latin School, lay, later at Harvard. Let's go, let's skip to the Boston Massacre yeah. and what's wrong with it. Yeah, so there's a stone circle mm-hmm. in front of the old state house that says site of the Boston Massacre. Mm-hmm. But I'm it guessing it's not the site of <laughs> Exactly. So it happened to, not far from it, yeah. but about 15 feet in front. But yeah. that circle 15 years ago was in a different location, yeah. too. So, so they had to move it because of the road. Exactly. Right? They expanded. Now it would be in the middle of the road. Because exactly. that's where it happened, in the exactly. middle of the road, right? Exactly. And that is what where the center of Boston is when we were t- saying. Back in the day. Back in the day. King Street, which is State Street today, but King Street was lined with taverns and shops. They had the Customs House, the old State House. So it was the economic, political, and social center of Boston. And you could see, say you're looking on the balcony of the old, is it the old? Old State House, yeah. yeah. Exactly where did it take place? Like dead ahead in front of the uh, balcony or off to the right or left? No, in front of the balcony. So there's a no left turn sign mm. um, at the intersection there. And it, the customs house was right in that area. Okay. Yeah. And then it happened in front, so in front, of, front of the, the balcony, house. 50 feet, 25 feet? Uh, 25 feet. So right there. Yeah. So it, the folks in that building could watch it. Yes. And after the event, they could. I, I went to a play on, you, you might have gone being in the history biz that took place in that room about that Oh, event, yeah, Blood the, on the Snow. Yes. Yeah. Did you go to that? I didn't. Oh, it was really good because it was about them discussing what must be done now uh, in after the Boston Massacre. And what they were seeing were mobs of people walking around. And they were scared of, revolu- of bad things happening, like riots right there. And they were wondering what to do with the perpetrators and what should we do. Anyway. Yeah. What else? Uh, 
Then you go to Faneuil Hall, you're pretty much done. Now let's go yeah. to the tavern portion of it. Yeah. How do you filter those in, the taverns, and how do you choose them? Yeah, so taverns, there's uh, we one of the taverns that we almost always go to is the Green Dragon Tavern. Yeah. And that also isn't in the same location right. as okay. the original. Where is the Green Dragon now? It's on Marshall Street, so right across the street from Bell in Hand, another historic tavern. Oh, that Green Dragon. Yeah. Right. And, okay. and the original Green Dragon was... It's painted with nice... Uh, Dublin bar looking. Yes, 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 yes. And it always has really beautiful flowers. It's one of the bars, one of the very few bars that looks like an Irish bar on the outside. Yes. I've actually seen it used in um, a television show as a as the, um, the, the fake front of a tavern that people were inside on the show. They right. used the facade of the Green Dragon Tavern in Boston. And that's cool inside. It's cool inside. Okay. I need, and then you go to the Bell in Hand. Sometimes. Okay, I need to register an official, a Bradley J complaint about yes. the Bell in Hand. Oh, what is it? Well, it's such a historic site. It is an old building. Yes. But the interior is just unremarkable. You- and I really, really wish some attention. It wouldn't take much to try to bring it to some um, period authenticity. Because it's not now. It's just like these really cheap tables. It looks like... The cheapest, cheapest college bar inside. It has no... So I think they heard your complaint because they redid the interior well, like a year or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It just had... I know of, what you they meant, may not but have they... been wooden, but they felt like formica tables. And yeah. No, so awful. they have all new furniture. Does it look like maybe this was the real deal? Is it period exact, period even close? No, but it's, it, it's more welcoming. I just really like, like the Bell and Hand. It's a place that's set up to jam more <laughs> more college students in there, as many college students in there as possible. And they, they trade on the Bell and Hand historical name, but for my money, didn't make much of an effort inside. This is a review. I'm allowed to review. I can review <laughs> movies. I can review food. I can review restaurants. And I can review bars. And that is my beef. Yeah, how, that's your beef. How much money do they make? A lot. How much money would it take to make that? He'd at least feel historical. Like maybe a peat fireplace. Well, that would be Ireland, actually. Okay. I've vented now. Okay. Where, where, what, tell the history of the real Green Dragon and where it was. Okay, so the real Green Dragon was not far from where it currently exists, um, about 50 yards away. Today, it's the Haymarket subway station. So not far okay. from where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Green Dragon was the spot. So mm-hmm. Paul Revere was a local here because he lived just around the corner, essentially. Yeah. Um, the top floor of the Green Dragon was a Masonic Lodge. And that was the lodge that John Hancock belonged to, Paul Revere, and Joseph Warren. So this was a meeting space for Boston's rebels. Um, they planned the Boston Tea Party, parts of it, at the Did Green the Dragon. Did the British not know that this no, is where they all hung out? They um, there's, uh, there's one account that says that call, that the... British called the Green Dragon a nest of treason. I would think they would have spies in there. They must have. Yes, there's spies on both sides. Yeah. Um, one thing is, people, there was loyalist taverns and there were rebel taverns, and you really didn't walk into the wrong one randomly. Do you happen to know of what was a loyalist tavern? So there was one called the um, the Royal Exchange Coffee House, something like that, and that's the one where James Otis got beat down. Does that still exist? No, no. So um, most of these taverns. Almost, in fact, all of them 
from the revolution don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. The Warren Tavern is the oldest one um, that's always been in that same spot in Charlestown, but that wasn't founded until 1780. Okay. I'm trying to think like James Otis Beatdown sounds like the name of a band (laughs) or a song. Yeah. That'd be a good name for a song by the Dropkick Murphys. Yes. Oh my gosh. James Otis Beatdown. Can you hear me? Ken, all right. <laughs> Any other, just name a couple more taverns that you that you uh, bring people to. So um, we do go to the Bell and Hand. We really love the Bell and Hand. Yell at them for um, me. I know we, but they heard your beef. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. New uh, new interiors. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sometimes we go to the Granary Tavern, which is um, along Atlantic, because mm-hmm. that's a formal Bullfinch building. Good time to talk about this is the baseball. You also do baseball oriented tavern tour. Yeah, it just launched. Aren't you just an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, I'm pa- I I love history. Yeah. And I love drinking beer. And beer. so yeah, we okay. drink beer on the tour. Mm-hmm. Our tagline Bradley is because beer makes history even better. So, we believe that beer enhances what already makes history special. Things go better with beer. Exactly. Revolutions go better with beer. Ex- revolutions need beer. Okay. Yeah, it's essential. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So tell me about the baseball tour. So, um it's a it's around Fenway Park, yeah. and it um, talks about the history of baseball in Boston, mm-hmm. and um, it's offered on days when there's Red Sox home games, so a couple times a week when there are Red Sox home games. Why only when there are home games? Because more people it's are more in exciting. town. Yeah, and more people are in town, and more people are more likely, more to, likely right, right, right. to want okay. to get themselves excited for the game. Mm-hmm. And what is included in the tour? What, what pubs, what drinking establishments, and what... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Do you learn? Well, so the one thing that we really, um, we talk about the connection of beer to baseball, because just like beer is essential to revolution, beer is essential to baseball. Um, is that, how is that so? So that's so um, dating back to the 1880s, literally, mm-hmm. um, when originally <laughs> the National League didn't serve beer at their games because they considered it sort of an upper class type event. And, and beer is a... Low, you know, blue collar. Lower, lower brow. 
potion. Yeah. yeah. And then a new rival league started to the National League. It doesn't exist anymore. It didn't last even 10 years. But they said, hey, we've got a better idea. That was their marketing ploy to steal people away, beer. Not just that. We're going to have games on Sunday, which was a radical idea. Yeah. We're going to play games on Sunday because that's the day most working class people have off. That's right. the only day of the week they have off. So we're not only going to play on Sundays, we're going to dock the ticket prices by half of what the National League charges. Mm-hmm. Then there's more money for you to buy beer. Okay. I see. So, Do you happen to know what brands of beer they had back then? Um, no, but this was this league was founded in St. Louis. So the height of uh, German brewing there. So uh-huh. there would be local breweries there. It would be there. fun to um, get some names of the, the beers and maybe some graphics of the yes. advertisements, posters that they had there. Yes. Uh, not my job, but no. I'd, I'd be personally interested to see that. Yeah. And I wonder how how far back some of the brands we know go. Like maybe some of them go way back. Like how how far back does Narragansett go? Maybe it goes way way back. There might be some brands that go way back. Yingling goes way back. That's not New England, but Yingling is goes way it's back. It's true. They dropped off the face of the. That was like one of the first. I'm sure they uh, are around in 1880s. Then they dropped off the face of the earth. It came back. They were all the rage. I tried it. Gotta say, didn't like it. Hey, you've got your beefs. You? How about you? Um, I I don't care for it either. Okay, on what basis? What's your? I just don't think there's a whole lot there. It's um for me, it's got this sweetness that I don't want. Oh, a sweetness, yeah. I, you know, I, I just PBR can. I'm a I'm a you know a simple man. Yeah, the PBR can against it can. There's something sugary taste in the Yingling. I just didn't like it. Yeah, I, I, I don't care for it. And that's and probably why it went away quickly. I was going to say, so they, they were gangbusters and they were on draft almost everywhere. And now that's yeah, slowly... it became a thing. Yeah. I also wonder about Schlitz. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> maybe to be fun to get us, do you think you might know of any beer historians that would know all these questions? So there's a guy who wrote a book called, um, what's it called? Boston Beer. That's the name of the book, yeah. Boston Beer, Norman Miller. And he does... Um, he writes, he, he's a beer blogger. So he wrote about the history of brewing in, in Boston, Boston, in Boston specifically. Yeah. But there are beer, there are, so there are such things as beer historians. Hmm. Yeah. That's something to think about. Yeah. My producer knows lots about beer. Maybe he can Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What bars, what establishments do you go to on your t- tour? So one of the ones we go to is the Baseball Tavern. Are you, do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. That one's been around a, a long time. Bit, or changed it a moved, bit. yeah. But it used it, to be really nasty, right? And yeah. now it's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> it's supposed to be nasty. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, I think it adds a whole lot of charm. I, when I say nasty, I, I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I mean, it is what, you know. Right. Um, but I so, shouldn't say nasty, gritty. Gritty, like Dirty Nellies. Yes. Yeah. So um, the Baseball Tavern is now on Boylston Street, and it's the one with the roof deck. It's really a great space. We're on Boylston. Uh, right across. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Where was it before? On Lansdowne. I mean on. Brookline. On Brookline Ave. Yeah. Okay. Now it's on uh, Boylston, Boylston right across from where WBCN was. Across from Tony C's. Exactly. There. Okay. Where else do you go? So um, uh, we go to uh, the to Cornwalls. Yep. In Kenmore Square. I know somebody who knows somebody who owns that. Yeah. It's a family owned place. It's a really great place. Yeah. And that building is really 
um, significant that they're in. I'm giving them a thumbs up. Hey! Believe it so. We've got another Bradley J. Review. Right. This one's positive. Okay, who else? Um, and so we only go to three taverns, and I'm going to keep the last one. I, I, I got to keep it a secret. I okay. have to. Tell me about some of the history you learn about on your tour, your baseball uh, drinking tour. So one of the things, one of the other things we talk about that I think a lot of people don't know or don't realize is that Boston was a two baseball team town. For over 50 years, there was a National League team here and an American League team. And um, one year they they came, there was a one-game playoff that the Red Sox lost. This was in the 40s, so they lost all the time. That, um, But had they won, they would have faced, the Boston Red Sox would have faced off against the Boston Braves in the World Series. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then the Braves took off from Milwaukee in the 50s, and then they are now the Atlanta Braves um, in the 1960s. They moved to Atlanta. Um, so it's a really and and what's really interesting about it being a two baseball team ta- two baseball town is that um, two baseball team pretty town, small for a two team town. This is my point. Fenway Park and Braves Field was a, were a mile away from each mm-hmm. other. So not only is it a small, but they're literally playing across the street from each other. Do you talk about Isabella Stewart Gardner being a fan? Um, well, we talked a tiny bit about how the fence was filled in. Yeah, and. Isabella Stewart Gardner establishing her mansion and that being that predating Fenway Park and that being one of the first institutions that really moves into the fence. As I guess it gets she was filled. a big giant she fan. Was. Right? She was. I feel like I would have hung around with her if uh, yeah if she was around. Yeah, we should be so lucky. I would have her as a guest. Yeah. Oh, she'd be a divine guest. And uh, okay, now let's talk a little bit about the history factor. Yeah. Boston in the Revolution. Boston wasn't involved in the whole revolution. Um, can you give the really brief, we'll do two or three minutes of this break and finish, events that were key yes. from whatever you decide to be first, maybe conquered Lexington or maybe before, I'm sure before now, Before uh, to evacuation day? Yeah. So, so we start where? So Boston involvement. The book starts in 63, which marks the end of the French and Indian War. And that's significant because Boston emerges from that war. It's a post-war town. Now, they don't know, we know, but they don't know that 12 years later, they're going to be engaged in another war. Right. They've come off the high of being a part of the British Empire, this growing, rich empire, except they weren't as rich. A lot of the soldiers were veterans, veteran fighters in the Revolution Learned to be soldiers in the uh, French and Indian War, yes. including George Washington. Yes. That that comes up. I mean, the British seem to inconveniently forget that. That um, they dismissed a lot of these men as farmers, these sort of country bumpkins incapable of fighting, when really just the decade before they'd fought alongside them. So we start. we pick up in 63 with the French and Indian War and some significant chron- – uh, events chronologically would be the Stamp Act in 1765. Is that the first of the acts? No, the first act is the Sugar Act in Sugar 64. Act. Okay. But we don't get like a really strong reaction to the Sugar Act. We don't like it, but there's not really a big uh, smashing violent event. Are there tensions in 64? There are tensions. Already? Yeah, and this is led by Otis. Yeah. This is where Otis shines, James Otis. Was Otis kind of the first? Otis was the first. Yeah. Yeah. Then... 65, we have the Stamp Act. And the reason that one's more significant is because we get our first violent rebellions. And that's against those two guys that I was mentioning earlier. The Stamp Act means 
It wasn't about buying postage stamps. No. It means you had to get a stamp, a British stamp to do stuff. Yeah. What did you have to get a stamp to do? Almost anything. Like if you buy, want, sell, trade. Open a tavern, stamp, diploma, stamp. And it cost money. Playing cards needed a stamp. Newspaper, stamp. Everything needed a stamp. Essentially, any printed good needed a stamp. Right. And England was, they needed money. Exactly. They, they just fought the French and exactly. they had Also, didn't they do have things going on elsewhere? I can't imagine the French and Indian War would have drained them like that. But I guess... it Well, it did because this was a... They'd been fighting against the French for, for literally decades in North yep. America. Mm-hmm. And they did have things going on all over. But the French and Indian War wasn't just fought in the colonies. Mm-hmm. So it did it train them. West, too. Yeah, but also... And um, the North. Yeah. Canada. But, yes. I mean, it was it was um, a major war, and it did deplete okay. them. And so they need money. So they said... And plus, the colonies were irritating them. So they just said, okay... We're going to raise money. No, here's what's bad. The colonies weren't irritating them. But what they said was, hey, we fought this war for your benefit. So now we want you to pay up. Mm -hmm. And Samuel Adams says, wait a minute. We helped fight in this war. Yes, yes, we benefited that we don't have this French and Indian threat anymore, which, you know, is why the war is named that. But we we fought with our blood. Exactly. So, So the British... They're not even ticked at the colonists. They just say, listen, time to pay your fair share, guys. And okay. Samuel Adams says, we just did. We fought. He and didn't. How but... long was that in effect? Did it get revoked? Well, that's, that's the kicker here is because there's two violent rebellions against these um, uh, officials, um, Andrew Oliver and Thomas Hutchinson, violently rebelling against their private property. And um, a, less than a year later, the Stamp Act is repealed before anything's ever collected on it. Oh, wow. So Bostonians learn, hey, this is an effective way to get what Could you want. Get some positive feedback through violence. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, so the Stamp Act is 65. And to me, that's when we start to see these tensions because Bostonians learn, hey, this is a, this is a good way to go about our business. Okay. And any other acts, the, the quarter... At quartering act or so anything the, else really rile them up? So the next thing that really riles them up is uh, when the troops arrive in 1768. Right. British troops are stationed in Boston. Boston's a town of 15,000 so people. Saying, British, the king's saying, we're going to squash this. We're going to put these guys in line. Exactly. Because they violently rebelled again. Yeah. And uh, and they say, oh, well, we're, we're now going to um, send in troops because we gotta we got to squash this. Many years ago, a man named Paul Revere was riding on this date at this time through darkness, correct? Well, kind of. So he was riding on Patriot's Day, yeah. but it, it's technically his ride began on the 18th. So not for a while. He's getting yeah. ready. Yeah, he, but, he's probably but nervous. Like, if we he's think got of, butterflies. If we think of today as the day that marks the commemoration of Lexington and Concord, they're reenacting it today. Yeah, but I have to be, you know, I, I want it to be the actual time. I know. So, so you know, he's anticipating. He's probably getting everything ready. He's getting everything what ready. What is he doing, by the way? How does he get ready? Checking up. Okay. He's telling him. Is this, when does he tell him about the, the lanterns? And okay. All? So what I love about Paul Revere, you know, we know of him for, for this one ride, but he's a messenger that had been sent out is, many times before. He a spy, too? Well, he's a networker. 
Okay. Um, networker. Yeah. So two days prior to his ride out to Lexington and Concord, he his famous ride, he rides out there to the countryside side and says, hey guys, something's going to go down. We Keep your ears open. Exactly. We don't hide your munitions. Yeah. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know something's going to go down. Yeah. And then um, British troops, 700 of them, muster at Boston Common. Remember, they wear bright red coats. Yep. And so on April 18th, 1775, 700 of them gather at Boston Common, waterfront property. What time? Um, around 10 in the evening. Oh, so, okay. Visible. Right. And so Boston townspeople go tell Joseph Warren, who's kind of the highest ranking rebel at this time. Yeah. Adams, Samuel Adams and John Hancock are in Lexington. Yes. And uh, they say, hey, the troops are mustering. And so Warren... Tap, taps Revere and says, it's time for you to ride. And they were going out there to capture those two. And well, maybe get that's, some, what the, uh, that's what the colonists thought. They actually never were. But uh, the colonists w- thought... What were they going for? There were some important papers they had. They were just going for munitions and really? conquered. Yeah. Oh, okay. But they didn't know that those guys were out there? They, they weren't targeting them. I but see. Revere and Warren thought they were. Because okay. been, there was good reason to think that, mm-hmm. but that was not exactly okay. true. So, 700 muster, they're going to get into boats, and it's kind of, you have to, that was water at high tide and kind of marshy at low tide. Obviously, it was high tide for them, but they ran into tide problems, correct? (laughs) Yeah. So, first of all, they're mustering on Boston Common for two hours. Took too long. Way too long. Okay. Because now Revere, he's gotten- He's gone. Yeah. he, He goes in the clear deep water. He doesn't have to worry about the marsh. These guys take too long. Tide then goes out. Tide goes on, down. and then they're standing in there, yeah. in the water, and the waiting for the rest of the boats to come in yeah. before they start marching. And they've got a, quite a march ahead of them. And they're, they're wet. They're wet. And then, meanwhile, Revere, he uh, he had given the signal, he had told the people at Old North Church, that's where the lanterns were hung, two days prior on that mission, you know, get ready. And so he goes to Old North Church, and he says, put up the lanterns, two of them. And that will be visible to Charlestown. And the reason he wanted them visible to Charlestown is so Charlestown could prepare a horse for him. Yeah. And also send out another messenger in case Revere didn't make it. Uh-huh. Because Revere was doing something really risky. He was rowing in a boat from the North End over to Charlestown. Right. Right by a British warship. Yeah. And tensions are high. I mean, the British are now on a military mission. So Revere was putting himself in a lot of danger. And he who makes- was the guy that... That wasn't Dawes, was it? The guy. Well, Dawes is the other guy. Okay. So they send out another messenger, but Dawes takes the land route out of Boston. Yeah. So um, Dawes goes has over a, Boston neck. Exactly. But Revere, they said, was too well known. They believed that he was too well known to get through the neck because yeah. um, General Gage. He couldn't just pull his hat down and go, "Hey, what's Exa- up?" Exactly. Just head now, guys. But Dawes. Exactly. Could. But Dawes sort of thought he was an actor and and pretended to be a farmer who yeah. had sold his wares that day. And okay. then he gets out, no problem. And then he heads out to Lexington. And he went out through a Brookline way. I, yeah. I, yeah. And they reenact the William Dawes ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so that's happening this morning. So um, Revere gets to Charlestown, gets on his horse, and he sets off. Yeah. He beats Dawes to Lexington, not by much, but um, he tells Hancock and Adams, you got to get out of here. They're hanging at Hancock's um, girlfriend's family's house, yeah. um, Adams and Hancock. 
And Hancock and Adams are sort of dilly-dallying around, but Revere says, go on, get out of here. Well, then Revere and Dawes say, good, we made it to Lexington. They, you know, got themselves something to eat, and then they headed out to Concord. Yeah. On their way to Concord, they see another guy named Dr. Samuel Prescott. Yeah, he got caught? No. No. He's the only one to make it to Concord. Oh, okay. Revere gets caught, Dawes gets away, and Dawes says, enough, I'm going home. Prescott goes on to Concord. Okay. Revere gets captured. They release him. The British release him. Yeah. He walks back to Lexington a few hours later, and he sees that Hancock and Adams are still there. And he says, what are you guys doing? Get out of here. It's my understanding that they were practically within sight of the Redcoats as they ran away, and they took a chest and the two of them carried this chest with papers in it into the woods. Revere and someone else. Hancock and Adams were gone at this point. Oh, but right. Hancock says... When, Han- when Hancock and Adams, I thought, were just very narrowly missed the, the British. They they don't miss it so narrowly. Not like you can see them in the distance. No. Okay. But Revere could see them. So Revere is running with this other guy taking Hancock's papers out of Buckman Tavern. Oh, okay. And they're running into the forest. And that's when Revere says, I mean, he has has written that he heard the shot heard around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we call today the shot heard around the world, which is the first shot of the Revolutionary War, as he was dropping the papers in a forest. Okay, I get it. So okay. that's kind of one of the more comical elements, I think, of, it. you know, war isn't funny, but we see these human behaviors that I think make history so interesting. That at the moment that these two sides are clashing, Revere is busy digging a hole to hide a trunk in a forest. Mm-hmm. I also heard that while the colonists who mustered were waiting for the British to get there, I mean, they're probably nervous. They waited in a tavern and they had beer. Yes. And so- it's thought that perhaps, I mean, nobody really knows who fired the shot, but it is uh, speculated that maybe somebody had had a little too much grog. And yes. that might have... Uh, led to an errant shot getting first. It must have been unbelievable to just be a farmer and stand there in the face of the British troops. Okay, so here's the thing. This is where alcohol plays a role. Beer and revolution. Yeah, one minute. One minute. Okay, okay. So um, the the, uh, men from Lexington muster. And then they're like, "Mm, it doesn't seem like they're coming. Right. So some of them go off to a tavern. Some of them just go home. Yeah. And then... They get the alarm. It, they're actually coming. Get ready. And um, some of them, so their numbers depleted from 114 down to 70 wow. by the time the British soldiers were standing there. And you're right. It is freaky. There were 700 armed um, professional, soldiers. professional soldiers in their gleaming red coats. And then there's 70 farmers, some of whom have been drinking right. at dawn. And while we know what's about to happen, no one that day knew what was about to break out. Right. And then, at that time, colonists were streaming towards, already streaming towards the event, so that by the time the British retreated, they were cut to pieces down the road, which was a great, great victory. Yes. So, the Battle of Lexington happens. It's not much of a battle. It's quick. um, No British casualties. But it's the retreat that gets them. Then they go to Concord. Then there's a battle in Concord. Right. Then the retreat is when the British soldiers really get laid into. And I guess they were particularly cruel to some people on the bridge. They killed them in an ugly way. It really riled well, up the colonists. And that, I heard, helped make them more angry. It was kind of a mistake. Well, actually, so the British saw that one colonist sort of 
lost his cool and he took a hatchet to a British soldier's head. Oh. Um, and split it open. And that riled the British up. I see. I got it wrong. Well, I'm going to have to read this book cover to cover. Boston in the Revolution, a town versus an empire. Brooke Barbier, thank you. You got a big day tomorrow. You're having breakfast. Uh, yeah. Baseball. <laughs> baseball? Yeah, I'm going to the Red Sox game at 11 a.m. Marathon. Yeah. Big day in Boston. Big day. All right, thank you very much for coming by. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.